Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm your host, Kristen Chavez. Today, I'm talking with Vigi Sathi, the director of the IEH's Tyson Academic Leadership Program. She is also the Associate Dean for Evaluation and Assessment and the director of the Townsend Program for Educational Research in the College of Arts and Sciences. She is also a professor at the practice in the Department of Psychology and Neuroscience. In addition to her work at the Institute, Dr. Sathi is a national expert on inclusive teaching and studies innovative instructional approaches and curriculum in higher education, programs aimed at broadening participation in STEM education, and evaluations of teaching and learning. Dr. Sathi participated in the academic leadership program in spring 2021 and soon returned to lead the program. As she enters her second year in this role, we talk about the program and how it helps faculty and her own experiences with the leadership development. Um, so thank you again for joining us. Um, so glad that you're able to keep you with us. Thank you for inviting me. So you participated in the spring 2021 cohort as an academic leadership fellow. That's right. Um, for those who may not be as familiar with this program, can you share about what the program entails for a member of, a, of the cohort? Sure. As you mentioned, I was a, a member of the spring 2021 cohort, and um, the fellowship is a is a year However, much of the programming occurs in the spring term. There are a few things that we do in the fall, mainly um, getting to know each individual member and having a sort of kickoff dinner where people get to meet one another and chat. But the bulk of our work is done in the spring term where we meet for several hours, usually Thursdays. And it's a great structure. It basically starts with um, check-ins or what we call check-ins, the ability to bring issues at hand that have surfaced in the past week or maybe revisit issues that people have brought up in prior weeks. And I love that because there are really timely topics that come up and something somebody says might spark something for someone else. And there's a lot of brainstorming that happens in check-ins as well. And then usually... Um, we, we also have the opportunity to have lunch and chat, and then there's usually a topic of discussion that either there are readings around or some kind of material we engage with that we discuss in the second portion of the meetings. And I love that as well. And a lot of that content or what we talk about is derived by what individuals in the cohort want to discuss as part of their academic leadership journey. So I work with a wonderful co-facilitator in the group, Rob Kramer, and we designed the curriculum based on our conversations with individual cohort members in that sort of initial meeting in the fall. Nice, nice. And this is a pretty small cohort, right? A small group? It is. There are eight, usually eight individuals, and they can be from anywhere in the university. So it's a unique program in that a lot of times you are often just with individuals within your school or unit, and um, I like that this program allows for um, individuals across campus to get together and to talk because what happens is everybody benefits. The people who um, are from units, let's say if they're from outside the College of Arts and Sciences where we tend to have the majority of participants, they really bring their perspective about how things are done on their unit to the group, and then the group also learns about just the culture and, and the kinds of activities that occur in programs outside of the College of Arts and Sciences, which is great because we it just builds awareness about what happens around campus. Yeah, that's amazing that we're able to not just help 
arts and humanities faculty or college faculty, but everybody across um, the university. So that is great to hear. What were some of your major takeaways when you were a fellow and how did that kind of lead you into um, applying to be the program director? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, It actually came up in my interview when I applied for this position. The biggest takeaway for me happened in one of the sessions we had a panel of prior academic leadership fellow um, participants join, and um, we got to just pick their brains about different uh, leadership roles that they've had, how they navigate choosing what they want to do and, and how they do their work. And something that stuck with me was somebody said, if there's a position that becomes available that you're interested in, put your name in the hat. Even if you don't think you're qualified, even if you think someone else may get the position, what you're doing is you're educating other people about what it is you're interested in. And that is very beneficial for everyone. And I I really thought that that made a lot of sense because I think a lot of times, and I think this is pretty common um, maybe for women in general, to sort of look through a list of requirements for a job and think, um, I, you know, I only meet three out of the five, so I shouldn't apply. And I hadn't really considered the idea that this it's an educational experience for the people who are reviewing the materials to see that this is the kind of position that you might be interested in, um, at least at this time and maybe even in the future, right? So you're really just communicating what you have, where your values are and where you want to be. And, um, and that is an important prospect. And so I think that was something that I, I just, I love that advice. And so, of course, when the ALP director position became available, it was exactly the kind of position where I thought, I would like something like this. I am going to put my name in the hat, even though I've only one year out. And we were a strange year at that because it was during COVID times and we, we met exclusively online. So a lot of the typical programming of ALP was not in place the year that I participated. So I knew that I was coming in already with a different mindset than a, than a typical fellow might have. But it worked out and I got the position. We're glad you're here. And I think that's such a fantastic perspective that I also wouldn't have thought of thought of it in that way in the sense that, yes, I could maybe try to reach that goal even if I don't hit all those requirements, but also just signaling to others that how can you help me get to that point? So I think that's just um, a great mindset. You're giving us little leadership tidbits already. <laughs> well, and it's not just how, how could I get there, but you're also telling the people this is the kind of position I want. And mm-hmm. so now that person knows when other positions become available, they can say, you know what? I have a candidate who I think would be great at this, right? So you're you're really potentially just sharing with others who may be influential in other spaces about how you might, you know, how your leadership skills may come to bear in that position. Yeah, and that's wonderful. So now you're going into your second year as the program director. Mm-hmm. Um, what has that been like, seeing it from a different perspective? And you also mentioned um, your experience as a fellow was a little bit different because it was COVID. Right. <laughs> um, and which, of course, we are still in. So programming is still a little bit different, perhaps. So what has that been like? And maybe what what do you hope for this next year? Sure. Despite doing everything online in my in my cohort, I, I found it very valuable, and that's the reason I wanted to apply for this position. I think it has, and it continues to have a lot of potential in helping people really carve out the time to think about leadership and to think about their place at the university. 
which is so important because I feel like often we're at sort of this hamster on a hamster wheel, just doing what we must um, from day to day. And this program gives people the opportunity to pause and to say, wait a second, what am I doing? And what, what am I saying yes to? And is that thoughtful and intentional? And also equally importantly, how do I say no? And what things do I say no to? I think those are all really helpful things to think about, especially mid-career, when we may settle into routines without really thinking through why we'd settled into those routines. So it can be a good reset. It could be a time to a really great time to pause and reflect. And I think this program does an excellent job of that and to do it in fellowship with others, right? So you're really, many times we, we hear similar themes from individuals, d- despite coming from different units coming up with the same kinds of ideas. A lot of the kinds of experiences we have are are pretty universal in terms of why am I here and what am I doing and what do I plan to do? And I, and I appreciate this program for its ability to give people that chance to reflect in a structured way, right? So we're really providing resources and, and potentially the opportunity to, to, to reflect and to put into practice some of these changes. So past listeners of this podcast may remember you from a previous episode on your um, work on inclusive teaching, um, which was released around the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. While this has always been part of your work with students for a very long time, how have you brought the importance and the methods of inclusive teaching within your role as program director? Yeah, this was a big part of my interview was talking about this. Um, You know, being a facilitator, even with eight fellows, is a lot like being in a classroom facilitating a discussion. It may not be as sort of content heavy as a course may be, and and a lot of our courses are very discussion oriented. Um, So I really wanted to think about how I could bring that to bear, structuring discussion, making sure people felt valued in their contributions, that they belong as part of the cohort. There are all kinds of things that come to play when, when we get in a group, and especially in a group like this where we share a lot about ourselves and it's sometimes professional, but sometimes personal. And you want to be able to help people feel like they can be um, forthright about issues that they might be dealing with and to feel supported with by their colleagues and by the facilitators. So I think a lot of my work is thinking about the design of our meetings, thinking about you know, what are, what are our objectives, which is something we often talk about in teaching. We have learning objectives. So the same applies in this case. When we set up a kickoff meeting, what are our objectives in a kickoff meeting? And then designing experiences that meet those objectives. And I remember an early meeting I had with Rob where I said, let's talk through the objectives as I saw them um, as a participant. And um, what do you see? And he said, you know what? We've never really thought through what the core Mm. objectives of the program are. We have sort of a definition of what the program is. And um, so we we crafted some objectives and we we just sat down and said, okay, let's keep revisiting these. At every session, let's feel like we're making a dent in some of these objectives. And I think that's one of the, the values that I bring is really thinking about this from a very sort of like lesson oriented um, facilitation uh, piece where where it's really about like the design of it and are we meeting the goals of of what we hope to meet in the sessions. 
And you mentioned Rob Kramer, who mm-hmm. is our leadership consultant and helps um, facilitate these meetings with you. Can you talk about that balance and your work together? Yeah, Rob is great to work with. And and honestly, one of the big reasons why I put my name in the hat when this position became available to, to be able to interact more with Rob, he's such a skilled facilitator, um, obviously a wealth of knowledge as it comes to it pertains to leadership. And um, and I just felt like I needed more opportunities to sort of absorb as much as I could um, <laughs> with him by my side. And he has been really wonderful to work with. Um, I, you know, I it's what an asset to have at our campus at at the IIH. He brings with him not not just his knowledge, but his um, his history with this program. So when I stepped into the role, he really could fill me in on the various ways people have addressed, say, the kickoff session and talked about some of the advantages of doing things some way and disadvantages of others. And um, and we really got to sort of dig into things, not with a clean slate, but but with the opportunity to say, like, what's worked well? What have you noticed working well? What do you want to see more of? And now um, me going into the second year reflecting on my own experience with material, reflecting on how we led people through some material, thinking about tweaking it the the second time around. Um, he's just such a great person to bounce ideas off of and is game for changing things, which I'm always game for. So it's nice to, to be on the same page on a lot of this. As program director, what do you hope faculty will most get out of the academic leadership program? Well, like I said, a lot of it is just the ability to to process and pause um, and think about leadership and to hopefully cultivate relationships with the people that they are in the cohort with. This is a key part of the program. And one thing you'll hear often, I think a lot a lot of former ALP fellows talk about this, that they still keep in touch with their, their um, cohort members. Mm-hmm. And I want that for, the, for the, uh, the fellows as well. So how do we create a cohesive group and um, make sure that they continue to support one another. I think it's it's always challenging because, you know, we select or there's a group of people who select cohort members. You don't often know if they're going to gel until you get them together, but it's part of our role to think about how they might gel, how do we bring out the assets and individuals and um, and and show that they do, they can offer each other really helpful advice or a sounding board. Um, and I think we did a great job of that with this first cohort, I'm looking forward to thinking about how to push it a little further in the second. And and we we still, as you mentioned, we're still dealing with COVID. And so this past year we had, we started remotely and then we, we met in person with masks and spaced and windows open. And, and we moved gradually to um, a semblance of what might've been the pre-COVID experience where we sit around a table together, even having lunch together. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, I look forward to the next year where hopefully we continue on that trajectory. And and um, one of the things that we have lost in the last couple of years was the ability to go off site to do a retreat. Um, we're we're going to hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, be able to do that in the upcoming year. And we were able to adapt a lot of the retreat um, agenda to be here either on campus and, and this past um, semester we went just just across the street to Siena and um, and did some of our work there. I really appreciated the ability to be off campus to do some of this work because I think sometimes we have to we have to sort of turn down 
our little brain, like turn down that mode of like, I'm at my workplace and mm -hmm. I'm doing, um, you know, I'm, I just have my work mind in place. I really want people sometimes, especially when we go offsite, I think it allows for people to be a bit more open about how work fits into their life in general and, um, and really be flexible about the goals that they have. And they don't all have to be work oriented goals. Yeah. I have a feeling I might have an idea of what your answer to this question might be. But as the application period is opening up, why do you think faculty should apply to the academic leadership program? It's a really great chance to get to know some colleagues very well over the course of semester and um, to think about, again, your place at this institution and your talents. I mean, they're presumably the, the reason you're applying is because you're wondering if leadership is the right space for you or you're in a leadership position and you're wanting to hone your leadership skills. And I am of the mind that um, there are so many leaders on our campus. In so many spaces, we have what we call informal leaders, and they are people who are influential and they may not have a title or a stipend or, um, you know, the kind of quote unquote prestige that might come with um, certain roles on campus but they're every bit as powerful and influential in their space. And I want those people to recognize the, the power they hold and how they can influence, especially their ability to make change at Carolina. And we're at a place now where I think a lot of people see places for change, that places where they want change. I would like for people to say, could I be the person who could make that change? What could I bring to a space that's different or unique? And, um, and to really take ownership of that. And, and I love the idea of thinking about broadening who thinks of themselves as a leader and how they lead. Yeah, that's great. And I think as a leader yourself, you're really um, emphasizing and showcasing that. And whether it's your work at the IEH or in any of your many other roles, I think you help exemplify that and bring other people up with you no matter what. So thank you. Yeah, I applaud that. <laughs> um, so what are some other components to the ALB program that um, you may not notice right off the bat? Sure. Well, I mentioned that we meet um, extensively in the spring term. There's another component of this program that I found really helpful. There's a week-long program that fellows participate in at the Center for Creative Leadership, or CCL. And one of the things that I really appreciated about that program as a participant is that you are together with other individuals across many different sectors of work. Sometimes you're the only academic, although oftentimes there's at least one or two more, and many people in industry um, are there to learn about leadership. And it can feel a bit strange because um, I think people try to do the translation between what, say, a boss is in a traditional work setting versus what we might have on our campus. But one of the things that I think is really helpful is that you recognize that a, lo a lot of the issues related to leadership pertain no matter which industry you're in. And so it's helpful to go through the exercise to be with these people, to learn about leadership. But one of the most beneficial things, I think, is that you um, are asked to do a number of assessments related to leadership, and one of them includes a 360 evaluation where peers evaluate or you, you will provide a list of people who would provide an evaluation of your leadership skills and strengths. 
um, and challenges that that you then get to see in a sort of digested format in a report. And um, and people often talk about this, both the fellows in my group and the cohort members in this past group. These measures or inventories or assessments that people take is really helpful in shedding light about who they are and how they approach things. I think there's a lot about it that feels very natural when you read it. That's of course that's me. That's how I how mm-hmm. I do things. But to see it written out in a report in that way, I think really does highlight what your strengths are. Sometimes we are our worst critics and we don't see the good things and we may focus a lot on the negative things. And so I really appreciated that tool that allowed you to sort of hold a mirror up to your your own leadership skills and see them. And for some individuals to just recognize that they do have great talents and they were discounting them potentially. And for others, areas where they might like to grow. And And I think this is what I love about this program is that we can explore that together. This is a great place to think about any challenges they might experience and how we can all help each other overcome those challenges. Since CCL is done prior to the cohort meeting for a semester, does that kind of help inform some of the meetings or the discussions with the the group? That's a great question. In the past, they haven't too much in a formal way. Um, They've come up in discussions or check-ins informally, but I would love to see them brought up in a more systematic way um, in the groups. And we, um, this past year was the first year where we actually had a session where we debriefed about some of the things we learned at CCL, as well as some of the assessments that people took. And um, and I'd like to do a little bit more of that because there's such rich data that's, that's really presented in this uh, format that it's nice to dig into it, especially early on where we can kind of learn where Certain people have the same kinds of challenges or strengths. And then maybe later where we're feeling a bit more comfortable with each other to really dig into things. So finally, as you know, our final question is one that we ask all of our guests. What is a book that has changed your life? Since you were previously on the show, you mentioned The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. Now, I'm not going to get you to try to change your answer (laughs) if that still has been the one that has changed your life. But is there anything that you've read recently that has really left an impact on you? Mm-hmm. That one still still resonates for me so much. Um, I think because it's so tied to the work that I do, and it's such a different and elegant way to talk about the purpose of gathering. Um, so I'm going to stick with it, um, and I and I'm just going to say um, it really does. When we talked about outcomes earlier, it really does. I think make us all think about what is the point of getting people together and not just letting sort of ritual or habit uh, dictate how we might interact in a space, but really designing an experience that makes whatever it is you hope to happen actually happen. And it's just, it was, it's not necessarily a shift in how I think about gathering because, you know, that's the kind of work I was doing in the classroom. But it really helped me think about doing it in a in every realm of when we get people together, um, including at the fellows meetings every Thursday, right? So really thinking through um, even personal um, types of activities, how we might actually more intentionally engage with people in groups and not use not waste or squander that time. It's such valuable time that we're all together. Um, so I really I'm sticking by that one. But I will say um, that. My book with uh, Dr. Kelly Hogan is coming out this summer. Congrats. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, and 
and it changed my life in the way that, uh, you know, a project like that can change your life. Um, so it's not something that, that I've read, obviously, from cover to cover, but, but poured over every word. And You were pretty um, involved with it. Pretty so. involved with it. And, um, and it really has been such a culmination of so many conversations around um, gathering and around um, teaching. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how people take to that and um, and what kind of conversations come out of that. Um, so, yeah. And one more time, what what is the title of that book? Uh, it's called Inclusive Teaching, Strategies for Promoting Equity in the College Classroom. And we'll be looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Vigi, again for um, joining us on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Institute Podcast. You can apply for the Academic Leadership Program at our website, iah.unc.edu. There you can find the latest news featuring Arts and Humanities Fellows, information about grants and leadership development opportunities for all UNC Chapel Hill faculty, and spotlights on upcoming public events. All of our podcast episodes are available at our website, and you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and more.